Amen, amen. You guys uh, mind giving up for the worship team again? They just did. I am always encouraged by the worship. Um, but I don't know about you, that that song lately, uh, We Praise You, has just uh, blessed me so much over the past few weeks to know that I'm going to praise God no matter what. So thank you, Jacob and the team. Always do a great job. Everybody staying warm? Feeling good? Everybody's like, oh no, I'm still cold. I can't do it. Um, don't worry, they said the 70s will be back later on, right? Welcome to the low country. 2470 tomorrow. And uh, we're ready to rock and roll. But we're in a series called Just the Beginning. That's right, Just the Beginning. And we are unpacking some of the evangelistic uh, of nature stories that Jesus taught in the Bible. Last week, we talked about Luke chapter 15, where Jesus told the parable to religious leaders and for us, uh, unpacking what God's heart and desire is for the lost in our area. And today we're in Luke chapter 14, Luke chapter 14, and uh, we're going to see another conversation that Jesus is having. We're going to unpack that a little bit as well. Uh, But I want to pray for us, ask God to speak to our hearts. And if you didn't know our church, we like to start January off with 21 days of prayer and fasting. And it's where we take just some intentional time the first three weeks and collectively pray together. Some people are fasting, some people are praying, and we're praying for some specific things. I know that each individual may have things that you're praying for for 2024, but as a church, one of the things we're leaning into is we're praying for the lost in our area, those who don't know Jesus, and we're collectively doing that. And also, we're just praying for a continued vision Uh, for God and his church, because he's the head of the church, right? And we want to pursue and follow him and receive almost our orders from him as well. So I want to lean into those two things as I open up in prayer here today, but just keep that in front of us as a church as well. So would you join me in prayer? Let's pray together. Dear Lord, thank you for today. We know that it is such an honor and a blessing to worship you, God. Thank you for each and every soul that is here, that can hear the sound of my voice and God, we're just taking the next few moments and we want to lift up every single person in our area. God, we know that there are those who we interact with every single day who don't know you. And I pray, God, that they would uh, realize that they need a savior. They realize that they have fallen short, God. And I pray that the Holy Spirit would stir their hearts and stir their souls to come to know you, God. God, I pray that you would raise up Christian leaders who would go out of this place and uh, have the gospel on their hearts and on their lips and to live it out out of the overflow of what we do every single day. And God, I pray that you will just speak to our hearts. I pray that you will give us vision for what is next. Uh, I pray that you'll give us continued vision just to reassure and renew whatever it may be. We know that your church is called here to the low country. Uh, We surrender to you. I pray that I will decrease so that you may increase. And I pray that you will speak here this morning. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. When I think about uh, the text that we're going to look at today in Luke chapter 14, uh, I came uh, to this realization uh, for you and I around this title, First Things First. First things first. And so we're going to unpack what that means in Luke chapter 14 a little bit. But when I think about life in general, have you noticed uh, that it's really easy to fill our calendars? I don't know about you, but I just feel like it happens without me even trying. You know, it just it's like the calendar gets full. Either I feel it in my own desires, right, of going, hey, this is what's going to happen. I need this to happen, this to happen. Work's going to go here. School's going to go here. Kids are going to go here. Uh, This event, this outing's going to 
that happen right here. And then if I don't feel it, have you noticed that there's a lot of other people who have an opinion on where our time should be spent as well? So then they will try to feel it. Hey, you should do this. We should do this together. This should happen here. And all of a sudden it can easily feel the pressure of life, of going, my plate's already full. What do I, how do I rearrange this and connect and, and still get everything in that I need to? And then maybe you go to church or uh, you go uh, start a brand new year and you get this added pressure of going, how am I supposed to add something else to this plate? This plate's already full. It's already heavy. How am I going to add this? How am I going to do that? I, I want to uh, get better in these different areas of life and Today, what I think we're going to realize is, is oftentimes it's not adding something else. It's figuring out what actually needs to be on the plate and what needs to just kind of slide off the plate, right? What needs to take precedence of what that looks like. And as we think about our relationship with God, oftentimes I think that can happen as well. We get all of this information. We live in the information age, right? Where we're just inundated with so much every single day. And we have to almost sift through it all. We have to figure out, okay, what do I need to take in? And what do I need to set to the side? What do I need to receive? And what do I need to reject? What do I need to carry? And what do I need to speak in with someone else? And how do I even navigate all of this? And uh, my wife and I, even yesterday, uh, we were sitting there and it was kind of a day where we didn't have a whole lot on the schedule. We had a couple of ball games, basketball games, but we kind of leaned in together and felt the tension of, okay, what do we want to do? What project do we want to tackle? You know, we wanted to fill the day with something. And finally, my wife goes, hey, you just want to relax? I'm like, that's a good idea. You know, why didn't I think of that, right? But there's this desire in us, I think, to want to fill that. To want to have something, boom, 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 ready to go. And I think on top of that, uh, our culture celebrates busyness. In fact, I would say if you were to tell someone, whew, I'm busy, I'm doing this, this, this. I, I got up at 6 a.m. and I finished work at midnight and I got three hours of sleep. They're like, ooh, he's on his grind. She's, she's getting it done. Wow, she is so dedicated. He is so, right? And it's just our American culture that has even celebrated it. But I don't know about you. Uh, but after I've lived that way for a season or a few weeks or a few months or even a couple of days and the candles burning at both ends, right? All of a sudden you start to feel the heat, right? Because the, the fire is getting closer and closer or maybe you start to feel the weight and it gets heavy and it gets tired. And then we sing songs like, this is what freedom feels like. And you're like, what freedom? What are you doing? You know, like, this is heavy. What are you like? I, I got all of this stuff to get done. And I just can't sift through it all. So how do we do that? What does that look like? And not only that, specifically speaking, I think it can apply to a lot of different areas of our life, but specifically speaking in our relationship with God. Because even that, I feel like we can wrestle through what do I do and what do I not do and what, are, what should be the first things that are first. And so we get a picture here in Luke chapter 14. Surprise, surprise, Jesus is having a conversation with the religious religious leaders of the day. Last week, Luke chapter 15, he confronts some religious leaders, right? Those who are high up in the uh, church world, so to speak, who are the leaders of leaders in the space. And here we are in Luke chapter 14. Jesus is having another confrontation with those who have said, I'm following God. Not only that, they're leading other people 
uh, these Jewish uh, or Pharisee leaders and Sadducee. And so the context that we're in here in Luke chapter 14 is, is that Jesus has been invited to this Sabbath meal. And so in the Jewish culture, if you know, Sabbath is a big deal. They didn't work. They had all of these rules about resting, all of these rules about the Sabbath day. And one of those things is they would have a meal together, all come around and they would treat it as worship. But not only worship, uh, but they would do some teaching and invite the community around. Well, Jesus gets invited and he realizes, hang on a second. There's a theme here that's happening at these meals and at this time of worship where you're getting together. And so he speaks up and he begins to tell them a story in true Jesus fashion. He begins to tell a story to redirect them to go, I think maybe we've lost our way of what this looked like. And he begins to redirect them. And so in Luke chapter 14, everybody still doing good? Warming up a little bit? I feel it. Okay. Luke chapter 14. We're going to start in verse 12 and read through verse 24. He said... Also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you for you will be paid at the resurrection of the just. When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to them, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at that time, and at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please Please have me excused. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine it. Please have me excused. And the other said, I have married a wife, therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly into the streets and the lanes and cities and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. And the servant said, sir, what you commanded has been done and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, go out into the highways, the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of these men who are invited shall taste my banquet. Jesus goes in and he's a master storyteller. And he begins to tell this story to illustrate some truths for the religious leaders. He's looking at this host and he sits down and he looks around at the room. And he begins to notice something. He goes, oh, you guys have invited all the top status people. You've invited everybody that looks like you, talks like you, responds to life like you. And he's like, hold on, hold on a second. What? He's like, actually, what I want you to do is to go out and look for those who can't repay you. The Pharisees and religious leaders began to only spend their time and invite people to their worship time, to their Sabbath meal together, who could only benefit them. And they were like, it's like bringing people in and going, oh, they could do this. And oh, they're affluent and they have money and they do this. And ooh, we need to put them at the top of the table. Yes, here we go. They know this. Right. And they begin to put people in the place. And Jesus goes, hang on a second. Hang on a second. Not only do you need to invite them. They, yes, they can come. But don't forget, you need to invite those who can't repay you at all. The kingdom of heaven 
is for anyone who is willing to surrender their life to God. Uh, the kingdom of heaven and worship of King Jesus is for every person, right? The, the social status, the economic status, every race, every uh, tribe and tongue and nation will be represented in heaven. And Jesus is reminding the religious leaders and also the church today is reminding us of that. And I think about church and, you know, if the governor were to walk in the back and wherever you stand politically, you know, they may walk in. But still, the governor is like, oh, the governor, come on in, come on in. Let's sit right here in the front row. You're you're our special guest. And then if a homeless person walks in the back, they should get the same reception. Right. Oh, come on in. Come on in. The gospel is for you, too. Come on in and sit down. You want some coffee? You want some donuts? Right. Like all of this. Right. And that's what Jesus is trying to remind his church and remind his people of going, hey, let's not play favorites. Let's not move people to the front or, or move people to a more important status in our life. And especially speaking for the gospel, just because of what they can offer us so that we can move up the food chain or move into this network or move into this connection. But he says, hey, I want to cross every border. I want to cross every the, all of those boundaries that we may set into place. And he's saying also love those who can't do anything for you, who can't repay you for what you're trying to do. And he begins to almost give our spirit a check a little bit of going, OK, I'm looking out into the world, looking for those who can come to worship Jesus, no matter what they look like, no matter it. Maybe they believe opposite of what I do, but yet I'm willing to step in and love with no agenda and to say, hey, I'm not doing this so that I can move up in the status, but I'm doing this because God loves all people, right? And, and, and he begins to connect and he's saying, I want them to surrender to me. And we're talking about the kingdom of heaven. But then we get a little further in the story here in Luke chapter 15. And he says that one of those at the table said, blessed is everyone who will eat at the banquet, uh, eat bread in the kingdom of God. It's like they're sitting around. Jesus tells a story. And then there's that one person who goes, hey, that's right, Jesus. Everybody can eat bread in the kingdom. And Jesus goes, oh, let me tell you a story about the kingdom of God and what can happen. And he begins to tell the story and he, he begins to tell us about three different people here. And every single one of them, it says, but they all alike began to make excuses. I love how the Bible is just plain and simple, right? Like just lays it on out there. Like they just began to make excuses. And the three excuses, you guys ready to hear these again? It says, hey, I have bought a field. I must go and see it. Please have me excused. I mean, they just bought something new. They want to check it out. They want to walk the field and measure it out. I just can't come. I can't come to worship. I can't come to the, the kingdom of God just because, you know, I, I bought this. It's a brand new field. And then he says, another says, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I must go and examine them. Please have me excused. I mean, the oxen during that day, he probably owned some field. And those were the primary means for how he made money and how he grew crops and all of those different pieces, right? And so we see that he's really involved and got all of this work to do. And not only that, he's got this incredible oxen. He's got to go check them out, make sure they can, they're doing what they're supposed to do. And then this one right here, this, whoo, this was my favorite. I have married a wife, therefore I can't come. Right? That's all this is. I'm married. Sorry, I just got it. You know Jesus. Come on, like, come on. And he just lays that excuse out there of going, hey, I'm married. I can't come. But we see all of these. And Jesus tells this story not to specifically pick out these three excuses, but I think to lay out the picture that there will always be an excuse on this side of heaven of why we can't pursue God. 
And the reason for that is, one, is because you and I have what the Bible describes as a sinful nature. If you read in some of the some of the translations, it says flesh. And anytime you see the word flesh, it's talking about this sinful desire, these desires in us that are not of God. And all of us have them because we have fallen into sin and the Holy Spirit is changing us into God's image. But we still wrestle on this side of heaven with sin. And so those sinful desires pull us away from God. And then not only that, we have what the Bible describes as the enemy. Satan and demons who are running around. And I know this kind of sometimes if you're not in the church world, you're like, that's a little crazy to think about. But we see this pulling us away from the kingdom of God. And if I were the enemy and I wanted to one stop those who were going to surrender their lives to Jesus and derail Christians, what would I do? I would pop up all of these things, all of these reasons why they couldn't follow God. Here's why you shouldn't follow God. Here's an excuse here. And so between the devil and our sinful desires, there will always be an excuse of why we can't pursue God with everything that we have. And I don't know if you've ever noticed that before, but you start to pursue God, maybe even as a Christian, or maybe you're checking this Jesus and this church thing out and you're wrestling with that. It's like you don't even have to try to come up with an excuse, right? Like they just come to you. There's like, boom, here it is. Or a circumstance or a situation will happen. And it's just like, oh, there's a roadblock. Oh, there's a roadblock. Oh, there's a stumbling block. And it just seems to happen because there is an adversary who knows you and I probably better than we know ourselves. He's been around since the beginning of the human race and he knows what triggers and pull those in and let's do that. Let's entice them with this and let's try to create this stumbling block and we see this begin to happen. But I think um, kingdom speaking wise, when we try to surrender our lives to Christ, the enemy will bring all of these different excuses that we may wrestle with, um, so to see, so to speak, before we surrender our lives to Christ. We may hear, I'm sure you've maybe heard of this or maybe seen it online, and uh, people may say when this question is presented, why do bad things happen to good people, right? The question puts up, and all of a sudden there's a roadblock of going, I can't surrender my life to God. See, bad things happen to good people even. I've got to reconcile that before I can surrender my life to God. And we see that God has given us free will. He's given us a choice. Not only that, that we live in a sinful and a broken world. Not everything's going to be perfect and people aren't going to be perfect. So it's like, do we get a choice or does God intervene in everything? And all of a sudden now we don't have a choice. And so we wrestle with this tension, right? Of why does bad thing, all of this happen, right? And so, or maybe we look at it and go, well, the Bible's written by men. I can't follow a God where the Bible's written by men, and we see this happen where uh, it can be in front of us, and we begin to think, okay, well, what, how, how do I reconcile that? Because the Bible is written by men, but yet inspired by the Holy Spirit. And uh, Jacob and I were just talking about it this week of the spectacular nature of 66 books over 40 different authors and how all of these cross-reference each other thousands of years apart, but yet they still, this verse talks about this verse, and this verse talks about this verse, even Old Testament, New Testament, how they all work together over thousands of years and they still are cohesive. It's still one message, it's still one God. And we haven't even gotten to all the prophecies yet. That have been fulfilled. Old Testament prophecies. Hundreds of them. And if you just look at one of them. It's like one in a million chance. You got more likely of being struck by lightning. 24 times in one day. Than this prophecy coming true. And there's hundreds of them. That have come true over 
and over and over again. We see this happen all throughout Scripture. All of a sudden, right, I've heard this a lot too. I just got to get my life right before I come and surrender my life to Jesus. I, I, you know, if I were to walk into church, poof, it would just burst into flames, right? Like you've heard that before. It's like, no, God can handle you. I promise, right? We come to God and the verse Matthew four nineteen says, follow me and I will make you into fishers of men. It doesn't say I will make you and then follow me. No, he says, follow me first and then I will make you come to Jesus first, surrender our lives to him. And then the Holy Spirit begins to do a mighty work in us as well, but we wrestle with all of us. We may wrestle with who is Jesus, right? Like you're talking about this serving God. Jesus is God. But even if we were to look at sources outside of the Bible, we see that Jesus was a real person who died on the cross and all, over 500 people documented outside of the Bible even say that they saw Jesus who was alive. They even documented a three hour darkness at the time when Jesus died. And this is outside of the Bible. Right. We see all of this circle around Christianity and who Jesus is, because the enemy's going to go, hey, you can't follow Jesus. Look, you can't follow Jesus. Look, you can't follow Jesus. Look, you can't write all of this. And then I think about after I've surrendered my life to Jesus, there's also a, an opportunity for me not to fully pursue Christ. Right. Because our plate gets so full and then it's like, what do I do? And uh, actually, uh, for you and I, and especially in our culture, as I was talking about before, how the busyness begins to put almost like a chokehold on our experience with God. And, I, and I'd love for you, if you're taking notes, I'll give you a couple quick things. But the busyness of life crowds our ability to serve God. Have you noticed that before? Of going, oh, I feel like God wants me to do this. I just got so much going on right now, God. I just, this is happening. This is going in. And I'm just not sure how this plays in and plays out. And what God is showing us here in this story is, is that uh, Stephen Covey actually made this phrase a little more popular. But he says this, put first things first. Put first things first. And he's talking about the priorities that we place in our lives, that our priorities, because our plates are always going to be full, but it's you and I going, nope, this is first. This is first things first. Uh, George Mueller in the 1800s, you guys know I love history, so you get pulled into this history lessons all the time. But uh, George Mueller, he was a pastor in the 1800s, and uh, he was pastoring a church in the 1800s of 1,200 people. Not only that, he ran five orphanages. So he's running five orphanages. He has 1,200 people attending his church, but he had a rule. He, he also did some studying and uh, wrote books, all that kind of stuff. But he had a rule. He would not start his daily work until he spent time in the word and prayer with God. It was his rule. He was like, as long as it takes, whatever time I get up, the first things first that I'm going to do is this. And then once that's done, then everything else is going to fall into place. We, um, there's a story, a little bit different context. Uh, Charles Schwab, maybe you've heard that name before, uh, in the 1930s, he had this uh, advisor, leadership advisor come in and he was like, hey, uh, can you help me out? And so the story breaks loose and he says, look, the spirit, not spiritual, the leadership advisor says, don't even pay me on the front end. Just pay me on the back end, whatever you feel like the value that I add to you. So he goes, OK, what I want you to do is tomorrow. First thing, I want you to make a list of everything important that you have to do. So Charles Schwab gets, he's like, you know, writing down a big old list. and He goes, next. I want you to take that list and I want you to number it. The, the first thing, number one, being the top priority that has to get done first. Number it one through ten. So then he goes one, two, you know, numbers them all there. And he goes, the first thing I want you to do, 
is to do number one. And when that's done, then you move to number two. And when that's done, then you move to number three. When that's done, then you move to number four. He's like, then when that becomes a, a who you are, I want you to have all your direct reports do that. Within three months, we see that his leadership advisor gets a check for $25,000. And this is the 1930s, so that's like a... That's an insane amount of money for the 1930s. He sends him a check because in three months, it has revolutionized his life. It has revolutionized his company. Why? Because he put first things first. This is the top priority. This needs to happen first. And for me as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus Christ, the best thing that I can do for anybody that is around me, for myself, is to have an intimate relationship with Jesus. That's the first things first. The best thing that I can do for my wife is to have an intimate relationship with Jesus. The best thing that I can do with, for my kids is to have an intimate relationship with Jesus. The best thing that I can do as the pastor of the Bridge Church is to have an intimate relationship with Jesus, right? Because that's where all the power and the authority, not just power and authority for all these signs and wonders, but for when I mess up, the Holy Spirit, right, begins to convict and goes, hey, you messed up right there. You need to apologize. You need to change this. You need to do that. You need to do all of these things. So first and foremost, I'm spending time with Jesus. And then the best thing that I can give my kids is a healthy marriage. Right. To to pursue my wife and to have that moment. Right. And you're like your kids are third. Great. Great dad, Daniel. But all these things. Right. But then then my kids, because the greatest thing I can give them is a, is a close relationship with Jesus and for them to see that I love their mom the way that Christ loves the church. And then I am able to serve and love and lead and develop my kids. And then God goes, hey, I want you to be a pastor. Gives you a calling, right? For all of these things, right? And God begins to lay out the priorities in all of these pieces because the Holy Spirit convicted me of going, hey, the church can always have a pastor, but I've only given your kids one dad. His name is Daniel Kasnick. And so laying out the priorities, and now, even though it get, the plate gets so full so many times, priorities begin to rise to the surface, begin to sift everything away of going, yeah, I do have a lot, but this is first. And then this, and then this, and then this. And it's able to wade through all of those pieces because God gives us this. But God wants us to first understand that first things are first. And it comes with a hunger and a desire to seek after God, to see him at work in us and through us. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is teaching the Beatitudes. And he says this, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied. It's when we get this hunger. And in fact, when this hunger grows further than our hunger for being comfortable, this hunger for everything in the world, but when the hunger for Christ, for what is right, rises up and it increases, right? And, and when you and I, what's a way to increase a hunger for something? It's when you partake in it, right? And if I partake in it, if I eat a little bit of sugar, my body's going to go, you need some more sugar. You need some more. And I eat a lot of sugar. And the next day, it's like, ooh, you better need some more sugar, right? You partake in it. That's a negative example. Don't go home and eat a bunch. Like Daniel said, I need a bunch of sugar. But, but as we partake in it, and as I draw closer to Jesus, he begins to increase that hunger in me for him. 
And it's like my soul longs for more. And when in James, it says, draw near to me, right? And I'll draw near to him. And it's not like this linear fashion where I take a step, God takes a step. I take a step, God takes a step. Jesus is in the center and I'm just removing all the barriers, right? Draw near to me. He's right there. He never moved. I'm the one that's moving or have allowed things to get put into the place, right? My own sinful desires or the enemy is gone and, and, and created this tension. But when I reprioritize, my priorities and I'm drawing near to God of going first things first. I want to pursue him because I'm hungry to know him because he's going to continue to allow me to experience this life and experience it to the full. But then he continues on in this story and Jesus begins teaching. Everybody still good? It's only going to be like three more hours. Just bear with me. Just kidding. Okay. Um, Here it says, go out quickly to the streets and lanes to the city and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. And we see this picture where he comes back and he says, they all have excuses. They're not coming. And this is the kind of the bluntness of Jesus. It says that the host gets angry. He's like, what? They told me they were going to come. They they, I invited them. I created this feast and they don't want to come. If they don't want to come, go find those who recognize their need for help. Recognize their need of a savior. Go find all of those people. So he goes out and finds all of these people and it says and he's calling out these people who need the direction, who need the help. And I heard a pastor one time says that run towards people of pain and you will always have a ministry. And finding those who are in pain and, and we as Christians, we don't kind of step away going, Ugh, right? I don't believe that. But we as Christians, we step into that. Why? Because we know the one who can comfort. We know the one who has peace. We know who the one that can set us free in Christ. And we're able to step into that pain and to help people. And then he continues on here. The servant goes out and he says, hey, I've done everything that you commanded uh, that I have done. And there is still more room. And the host goes, hey, go back out into the streets, go to the hedges, go out to the highways and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. I love that. The, this picture that the servant goes and he goes, hey, all of these people, they've had all of these excuses and they didn't want to come. And they go, OK, we'll go invite those who recognize their need. And he goes and invites them back and he comes in and he's like, hey, uh, they're all here, but there's still open seats. There's still room. And he says, keep going out, keep compelling people. And I love that as a church, we always want to have the posture There's always there's still more room. The kingdom of heaven continues to expand. And we see that our big God can handle every single person that is coming in. That's why we went. We filled up one service, right? God filled up one service. We needed to go to two because we always want to tell people, hey, come on. There's still more room. There's still more. There's an open seat with your name on it. Come on in. Experiences. Hear the message of God. And we see that the host plays the role of God in the story. And then we see the people in the world that represent all the others. But then there's one more person in the story, and that's the servant, right? What does the servant do? He just keeps showing up to the host and he keeps connecting people to the host, right? There's no power in the servant, right? I mean, the servant goes out and he compels people. You've got to come to this great banquet, come to this feast, everything that you can experience. Come, come and you need to see this. And they come, right? And we introduce them to Jesus. And Jesus is the one who saves. Jesus is the one that that, uh, begins to change our lives. And I want to take some weight and pressure off you and I. You can't save anyone. I can't save anyone. But what I can do 
is share the hope of the gospel and share and tell you about the one who can save. And that's my role. That's my responsibility as the servant of God to go, hey, here is the one who can. Here is the one that can save us, can change us, can help you in this moment, in this season of pain. Here's the one that can bring you comfort and peace in this. And we begin to see God using us to fill his house, to not only just fill his house. And here he's not specifically even talking about church. He's talking about the kingdom of God. He's saying, keep bringing in people. There's always room for the kingdom. And we see this begin to happen no matter who they are. And I want to I want to challenge us with two questions as we begin uh, to think about here today and close the service. Um, but one is, what are you and I allowing to get in the way of pursuing God? So maybe you've never given your life to Jesus before. And, and I love to ask people this question. What is stopping you from giving your life to Jesus today? What's, what's the in your way? What's, what's blocking your way? What's the, the stumbling block that's in the way? And for us, maybe as Christians, what are, we, what are we allowing to get in the way of pursuing a life with Christ, an intimate relationship with him? And then I love to challenge us with this question. Will we allow the hunger for what is right to be more than the hunger for, for what we think is comfortable. Have you noticed that? Anytime that God begins to grow us, and, and God created us, I didn't set it up this way, but have you noticed everything that, in order for us to grow, usually lies on the other side of being comfortable? At least on the other side, it's like we have to move into this uncomfortable state and all of a sudden we grow, right? Like exercise, nobody's like, "Woo, let's go run and let my lungs burn, right? Let my legs be tired and feel like a baby deer trying to walk around. Like all of these things, right? Like uh, we don't do that, but yet something about it, when I cross over being comfortable, that's where growth begins to happen. Think about relationally. You're like, oh, I don't want to have this conversation, Right? I don't want to I don't want to say I'm sorry. Oh, this is going to just going to hurt my pride. All of these things. Right. But it's on the other side of that. When we have that and the walls begin to come down and we're vulnerable and we're open and God begins to use that for growth. And oftentimes we'll kind of settle into what's comfortable. But God's going, I want the hunger to be closer to me, to be stronger than what is comfortable, God. All of a sudden, then we get close to Jesus and it's like, God, make me uncomfortable. God, use me for your glory. I want to go out into the streets, compel people to come in. God, use me in any way that you seem fit for your glory. Right. And oftentimes it's like, oh, that's a scary prayer because it may cause us to get a little uncomfortable. But it happens as we begin to take those steps, as we feed our relationship with God, as we put first things first, he begins to raise our appetite for him and for what his kingdom has for our lives. And so I want to pray for us, ask God to speak to our hearts, but uh, because we also stream the service online, I just want to pray anybody in the room, anybody that can hear the sound of my voice, if, if today you're like, you know what, I'm not going to let anything else get in my way of a relationship with Jesus. I want to surrender my life to Jesus today. I would love for you to pray with me. And I, I do this peri uh, periodically. I do this kind of guided prayer. The prayer doesn't save us. It's the my heart placing my faith in Jesus. And Jesus is the one that saves us. But if you're in the room and you're a Christian, and when we move into this moment, my hope is that we're all praying. 
God, stir. God, allow them to come to know you. And this this collective moment where we're playing, praying for those who are surrendering their lives to Jesus. So I just want to pray for us. If you want to surrender your life to Jesus today, I, I would ask that you would uh, pray this prayer with me. And it goes something like this. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I know that I have fallen short. God, I know that I have sin in my life. God, and I ask that you would save me. I believe that you are God. I believe that you died on the cross and that you rose again. And ask that you would change me, God, and help me in my life to grow to be more like you. If you prayed that prayer here this morning, I'd love for you to fill out a connect card and then to turn that connect card in. I'd love to pray with you as well. Um, as we walk together as a church, you weren't meant to take this journey alone. And I just want to pray for us as a church. Dear Heavenly Father, God, thank you so much for your word, your truth. Thank you for your son, Jesus, who died on the cross to set us free, God. I, I pray that uh, you would stir our souls, that we would put first things first. God, I pray that you would be our top priority and allow all of that to flow from that moment. That is that our relationship with you, God, is 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 everything that we need. And yet just the beginning of all the other relationships, all the other tasks that we need to complete, all the other responsibilities that we have on our plate, God, that it would start with you, that you would be our first God. You would be the middle. You'd be the last. You'd be involved in everything that we do. God, we love you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to the Bridge Church Podcast. If you would like to find out more information about our church, you can simply visit our website at thebridgebluffton.com. Have a blessed day.